Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Thursday, February 16th edition of the Basement Academy. Our morning psalm, Psalm 16, uh, brings some language forward that uh, will intersect with our um, reflection this morning uh, on the Ten Commandments. So let, let's start with this Psalm of David. Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, You are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Amen. Psalm 16. Love this psalm. Several little phrases in there. I love the one about the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. You've assigned me my portion and my cup. And so again, praying the Psalms daily brings us this opportunity. Every month we will have opportunity to pray. Psalm 16, and remember God has provided. God cares for us. God knows our lives uh, down to the details and he's involved uh, with them. Okay, so we've introduced this final um, essential tenet of the Reformed tradition, living in obedience to the Word of God, and tried to make a case yesterday that um, obedience is not an optional part of the life of faith uh, for the people of God, uh, Israel, for the people of God, the church, right? God always intended for us to live a, a full, robust, uh, mature, fruitful, flourishing life, and the way to do that is to live in a relationship with Him. He knows best what will bring our joy. Sin has complicated all that. The refusal to live in obedience has plunged us all into this place where we think we know best. <laughs> and defying or rejecting or resisting or straying from the will and purposes of God, we think brings us life, and it doesn't, okay? And so I got thinking about this. Um, do, do we not obey because we say, oh, well, I, I, I can't do this. I mean, nobody's perfect, right? I mean, you know, that's the, the old thing we say, right? And I think sometimes we say it to get ourselves off the hook. Well, since I can't perfectly obey, I'm human, I'm fallen, I'm faulted, I'm flawed, all that stuff. Since I can't, I won't even try. And I remember some years ago, this distinction being made between cannot and will not. 
thinking about like dunking a basketball. I'd love to dunk a basketball. I, I can't dunk a basketball. I'm unable to dunk a basketball. And they said, well, you know, if you tried, you know, if, if you set your mind to it and exercised, I, I, I might be able to. Okay, and so now it's a matter of will. I could choose to exercise and stretch and strengthen uh, my, my body, my legs, um, do some drills. So right now I can't, but with choices, with the will that God has given me, I could exercise, I could rearrange my schedule, I could get a personal trainer. And, you know, there's, there's more than one guy, 5'11", <laughs> who's dunked, right? Who's dunked the basketball. And so realize that I cannot is a function of I will not. And so um, I wonder if that's a, it's a poor analogy, but, but maybe it points us in the right direction. How many of us have not set our will to obey? We, we you know, we'll, we'll obey when it's easy, but when it gets hard, we, we, we just, ah, I, I, I can't do that. I, I, can't, I can't possibly forgive them. They, they, they've, done, they've done too much to me. Well, that's actually disobedience. For you not to forgive somebody is now disobeying the will of God. Because God clearly said, forgive. Forgive us our debts, Lord. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And the parable of the unmerciful servant that we went through a couple weeks ago on Sunday mornings. And so I got to thinking about obedience and some of us just don't even think about it, which I'm so glad for the fellowship uh, community, the Fellowship of Presbyterians, that lifts this up as an essential part of the, the life of faith. Because Jesus said, teach them, go baptize, <laughs> and go to all nations and teach them to obey everything I've commanded. And one of the things at least he's commanded is to forgive. He's commanded us to love not only our neighbors uh, and, and our friends, but, but also to love our enemies. I, I, I can't possibly do that. Yes, you can. It's that you will not. You choose not to do the work involved to engage that commandment of God in an earnest and serious way. And so, um, so I, I wonder how much joy we miss out on. Uh, hopefully you did your homework assignment, right? Psalm 119, you were to read last night. If you haven't, go do your homework. And there it is. You know, you could read Psalm 119. You have the ability to read Psalm 119. You chose not to read Psalm 119. Now, hopefully that's nobody, right? Hopefully everybody did their homework assignment. But the joy, how much joy do we miss out on? How much deep satisfaction, how much sense of well-being with, with God and with the universe that, that, that are we missing out on because we don't delight in God's word and we don't give ourselves to uh, obedience. And, and so um, the, for the balance of this essential tenet, what, what the, the tenet does, if you've got the document printed out, it actually goes through the Ten Commandments and suggests that we use the Ten Commandments as a guide for practicing self-examination and confession. Again, these are not 10 suggestions. <laughs> They're 10 commandments. God wants us 
to obey these 10 words, these 10 instructions, these 10 commandments. And so the, the way the, the framers of this particular document, the Essential Tenets document, they draw us back to bedrock <clears throat> and, and use the Ten Commandments as a touchstone for self-examination. How am I doing? And then confession. Here's where I've fallen short. But not to beat us down, but to draw us to a place where we run back to Jesus, give thanks for his grace, uh, that the salvation offered us there, go back to the cross, lay down our burdens there, but give ourselves to an earnest and honest attempt to obey the will and word of God, particularly here as revealed in the Ten Commandments. And so with the Ten Commandments as a guide, what I want to do um, is to reflect with you today just on the first um, uh, of the commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. And then over the next few days, just take a couple of the commandments at a time and, and just you know uh, reflect off of what the writers of the uh, attendance document have, have offered there. So you can go read this uh, for, your, for yourself. And so... Uh, the first of the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me, okay? The way uh, the document says it is worship God alone. So we start there as our guide for, uh, for self-examination and then confession. Worship God alone, <clears throat> There are to be no other gods in our lives. No other items or people, objects, um, ideas or ideals that are above God. There is no idea, no concept, no framework, no ideology that is to be above God. Uh, how did the psalmist say it? The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. Guess what? Our sinful, rebellious, broken, faulted, flawed hearts are prone to do. Run after other gods. We have this worshiping impulse. We need, we need meaning. We need purpose. We need connection with something transcendent, something beyond ourselves. We are made that way. It's, we cannot escape it. It is an inescapable part of the human condition. So if we will not worship God, we will worship something else. We will give ultimate devotion to something else other than the true and living God revealed as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so it's not, uh, will you worship God? It's which God will you worship? Which God will you worship? Will you worship the living God or will you worship a, a God, uh, an idol uh, of the nations uh, of our own making? And so <clears throat> we are called to live to God's glory, not our own glory, to God's glory, not the glory of uh, a political party, a political system or ideology, not a cause as grand and noble as the cause may be, we're going to overcome all injustice. We're going to dismantle racism. We're going to dismantle poverty. And we're going to make this our ultimate goal. 
No, you won't. Because that will not be able to happen. In this world, racism will not be dismantled. Poverty will not be overcome. It, it Just read it in Deuteronomy, and, and Jesus uh, captures that. The poor you will have with you always. And there was this complaint, you know, why was the, the, the woman came and um, anointed Jesus with this very expensive perfume, and Judas gets indignant, right? You know, that money, that, that could have been sold and money given to the poor. He didn't care about the poor. He was the treasurer, and he was going to pilfer a little bit of that. So, you know, he saw an opportunity to miss out. And, and Jesus says, what she has done will be remembered. She gives him, herself to devotion to Jesus. She has recognized that Jesus is her life. Well, we could have given that money to the poor. There, there's, we could get, get, spend ourselves out in overcoming oppression. No, we will not overcome oppression. Jesus has overcome oppression. Give yourself to Jesus, and he has trampled down the enemy. He has trampled down oppression. Now, I'm not suggesting that we don't give ourselves to such causes, but we do so with the cross going before us. And this is what is lacking in the contemporary, the secular expressions of, of social justice or wokeism, as some pejoratively call it. And I find it woefully lacking in the expressions of the Presbyterian Church. We lead with the cross that Jesus has triumphed over the principalities and powers of this world. And those principalities and powers so influence societies uh, and, and, and human communities into ways of racism and oppression and poverty uh, and, 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 and diminishing uh, others. But we lead with the cross. We say, in the name of Jesus, who has triumphed over these systems, we now work against these. But that doesn't happen because we don't want to offend the, the world with the language of the cross. So we, we give ourselves to some cause to overcoming all oppression, but we forget to say Jesus and the cross and the atonement and the blood because that's offensive to many, certainly in the world, and many in our progressive uh, communities, our progressive Christian communities, are a little offended. Some even go so far as to say the notion of the father offering his son as a sacrifice is tantamount to child abuse. So they refuse to use that language about um, the, the son fulfilling the will of the father to die on the cross, which is clearly revealed to us in Scripture and so that's what I'm saying. So here is an example where ideology takes the place of truth. Even a good effort, a noble cause can become. And so we live to his glory, his glory above all else. We renounce all idolatries, all idolatries, even the idolatry of a good cause. Um, I, I observe and others have commented that in our society we seem to be making children and the family almost an idol. And so the hovering, protecting, watching out for children, yes, we certainly should care for their safety. But you know what? We live in an unsafe world. We cannot protect them from every harm. And so parents who then go complain against teachers who gave Johnny or Susie a bad grade on their test and Johnny and Susie came home and didn't feel good about themselves and the mother or father goes and then confronts that teacher in that school for making their child cry. Oof. 
the family, my child's happiness has become an idol above all else. <laughs> the scriptures teach us here that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. All discipline is painful at the moment, but later it yields a harvest of righteousness for those who've been trained by it. So when we make the, the well-being, the, the emotional well-being of our children the most important thing, we will then refuse to discipline them for their own good. It, it will be painful. It is painful to get that test and realize I did not and the truth is, Johnny or Susie probably didn't study, right? Because they were playing video games or watching TV or making TikTok videos or who knows what, right? I'm not trying to sound like an old fuddy-duddy. I'm trying to say this is how these truths intersect with life. I never thought about making my child's emotional well-being a god, an idol. And so we have college campuses Somebody comes in and says something that somebody doesn't like. They get offended. They go to the administration. They get that speaker canceled. I didn't feel safe. Well, then, get, then quit college. Get out of here. This is the place where free inquiry is to take place. And some ideas are going to challenge you. I, I've never heard about such a thing before. And this is why the gospel itself becomes offensive to the world because the gospel says you have sinned. You have fallen short of God's glory. You have not lived up to the high ideals and noble calling that God has for your life. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All must repent of that sin. You are responsible for your life and for your behavior and for your words and your attitudes and your actions and what you've done and what you've left undone. And repent and come to Jesus to be saved. And the world finds that offensive. How dare you tell me that I have done wrong. Who, who, who are you to say that? And so that becomes an idolatry, right? And so when we worship God alone, we, we have to understand it's not just little statues. It is that, but it's more than that. It, but it's our money, it's our wealth, it's our pleasure, uh, it's our own well-being and protection. And so, so we make of many things idols. We make idols of many things in our lives. And so we live to his glory, we renounce all idolatries, which for us come more in the form of ideas or concepts. Politics, don't even get me started, okay? We have made such an idol of the political reality. We need power and we're gonna defeat our enemy and we're gonna get the White House and the Senate and the Congress and we're gonna bring in the kingdom. No, we're not. It's all about putting others down. So we've made an idol of politics. So we renounce all idolatries and inordinate loves. I love things that I shouldn't love or I love them too much. It could be food. We, we just talked about this last week in the temptation, right? That, that lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. And so I have an inordinate love, a disordered love a disordered love for self is called pride. A disordered love for sexual um, fulfillment is called lust. A, a disordered love for wealth and possessions is called greed. A disordered love for food is called gluttony. A disordered love for rest and, and refreshment in my, my well-being is called sloth. 
And so we can go through each of those seven deadly sins, and each of them is connected to an inordinate love or a disordered love. And so, have no other gods before me. Got that? I'm not bowing down to any statues. I'm good to go, God. No. What? The, the ten, what the Ten Commandments are, are there for and, and the, 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 the wise reflection of the faithful community over the centuries has said these commandments are there for our self-examination. And so we plumb the depths. What does it mean to have another God in my life? And then we examine ourselves. We confess, God, forgive me. I want to worship you alone. In the name of Jesus Christ, I wish to worship the Father, the maker of heaven and earth, in the power, the gracious power of the Holy Spirit. So anyway, that's an example. We'll unpack uh, each of the Ten Commandments uh, over the next few days. Uh, and that'll probably take us into next week, certainly. Um, and then again, I'll be putting out a call for questions uh, to the Academy and look forward to that. So anyway. Let me invite you to read Psalm 119. If you haven't, read it. If you want to read it again, do so. And, and use even today's reflection to examine your own heart. Where have you made an idol of something in your life that has drawn you away from the Father, even though it be a noble cause? Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for the grace that is offered to us in Jesus Christ, not if we fall short, but where and when we fall short of your purposes and plans, especially here with this first commandment. We have disordered loves. We, ha we have set our affections on that which is not your name, your grace, your glory, your being, your purpose. And so, Lord, renew us, lead us in the path of confession and repentance and self-examination, as we prepare for the season of Lent uh, to begin next week, we thank you for this holy season that um, guides us, <clears throat> guides us towards uh, uh, your kingdom, guides us towards the cross and, and the, the blessing and love of Jesus, uh, in whose name we pray and who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May the God who has set his affection upon you and loved you first give you a deep abiding love for him and him alone this day and forevermore. Amen.